Hello and welcome to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the key trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain, oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We're keeping this one in-house this week with plenty going on across our key commodities. Robert Herman is, of course, joining me to talk through some of the developments we're watching in grain, wool and cattle markets. We have recorded this episode a little bit earlier on in the week than usual, so I don't have the normal market highlights for you today. But if you are looking for a quick snapshot of what's happened across the week, there are our Friday market commentary reports on the Mercado website, which are always there and free to access. Enjoy the episode and I'll be back with you after a thank you to today's sponsor. Thanks for tuning in to Commodity Conversations. This week is brought to you by ProAdvice. ProAdvice offer tailored services to suit your accounting needs. They have a long history of working with farming families and they understand the day-to-day realities and challenges of farm life. Whether it be strategic and succession planning, improving your communication and decision making, or accounting services and business software solutions, ProAdvice will help your farm run more efficiently. Hop on their website or give them a call to find out more. Well, Rob, it's been a while since the two of us just caught up on the podcast to talk about markets. So thanks for suggesting it this week and had nothing to do with me not getting us a guest in time for this week. So thank you and looking forward to the chat. Yes, I'm looking forward to the chat too, Liv. And as usual, there's lots happening in agriculture. There is, there is. And I'd really like to start out today talking about the graded oilseed market because As we were coming into harvest, we had rarely been in a better position and expectations were for near record production, but things have changed a bit now. So can you tell us about the harvest progress? Well, you're right. Things have changed a little bit, but the sort of, before we get to that, there's probably two components of the grain industry in terms of how growers are looking at it. One is the price and the other one is the product or the supply. And, and the price is still being driven by what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere, and we'll come to that in a minute. But we are very close to getting into the bulk of the harvest, and certainly some of the northern areas have already harvested and, and been going okay. But one of the things that's um, obviously playing on people's minds this year is that this continuing rain that we've seen you know, almost for the whole of, of this year. It's, it's just been a, a raining year um, right from the beginning and, and now continuing on into harvest and the, and the Weather Bureau is saying that that's likely to continue. And what that's going to mean is that um, harvest is more difficult and that's not something that farmers enjoy, I can tell you that. You know, there's problems with getting the, the machinery out and getting the grain dry or the oil seeds dry. Um, there's also going to be quality issues, live where we're seeing already that the, um, the downgrading of some of the wheat uh, it's, it's represented mainly by these increasing premiums for the high-quality wheat. So anyone with high-quality wheat this year is not only going to see the underlying price high, but the premiums for that quality wheat high and, uh, or, or elevated. And just to um, touch on the canola, you know, it's, it's, in a lot of areas, it's almost been the perfect year for canola and, and we're reporting people seeing, you know, massive windrows of canola that's ready to be harvested and some's already been harvested. But also we're seeing that the pods are very full, so we're going to see good tonnages. And the cool, damp conditions 
are conducive to seeing high levels of oil. And that's already playing out in some of the early harvested grains, but as or early harvested oil seeds, I should say. But as that harvest comes further south, Liv, we'll probably see some very, very strong, not only strong yields in terms of tonnes per hectare, but also strong oil. And hopefully from here, the wet weather dries up a bit and um, they can do the best job they can to get the, the crops off. Looking forward though, Rob, the I guess one of the major concerns about next season and beyond, even though you know, we've got great soil moisture profiles leading into seasons ahead already, is fertiliser and securing access to that and what the price point growers are going to have to pay for that. So how do you think that's impacting the outlook for growers? Well, it's a really good point to make, Liv, and isn't it classic farming situation where when you know when everything's going really well all of a sudden something comes out of left field and uh, and certainly the fertilizer cost the fertilizer prices are coming out of left field and, and in that they are very elevated and um, we we both sat in on a, a presentation from our Canadian counterparts this morning who have a really good handle on this and and some of the escalation in prices that they were showing uh, are really hard to believe how much it has jumped it's it's and it's been driven by um tightness of supply or, or the tightness of the equation between supply and demand and so you've got countries that are trying to secure supply now and so they're limiting uh exports or they're increasing their imports and that's tightening up the whole the whole sp- space of um fertilizer uh, but we haven't really seen impact as yet on on Australian growers because the big demand for fertiliser will come next year, of course, from February onwards. Uh, Already some farmers have secured their fertiliser, but there will be a lot that haven't. And and that's going to play on the um, uh, farmers' decisions in terms of how much they put out, how much fertiliser they purchase and put out, and not just um, the DAP and the MAP, fertilisers, but also the urea and the nitrogen fertilisers. And, of course, that will have an impact on yield. And to what extent is yet to be decided, but it just is another situation where we're going to have to watch carefully what happens because if that tightening of yield or or reduction of yield uh, is global because of lack of fertiliser, then we're going to see prices sustained. So that's, that's that's a positive. But it's going to mean also that um, the, the, the price of fertiliser is going to remain elevated. So that's going to be a real challenge for not only Australian grain producers, but all users of fertiliser, whether they're, um, they're livestock producers or whether they're grain and also producers. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation that it, it is impacting all around the globe. And there have been very few times in history that we've seen that sort of situation play out. So it'll, it'll be interesting to watch how long it does affect supply of those inputs for and what impact it has on, on future production. But, Rob, I do want to move over onto wool now. So what, what can you tell us about what's been happening in the wool market in recent weeks? Well, for the year, we're, we're just slightly down on bales sold per week, just by about 1,000 bales. So, And I don't think it's a case of, of actual supply or uh, stocks building dramatically. I think, it's, um, I think it's just that farmers are just slowing down their sales a little bit as the market softens. 
Um, but the market has, has pushed up mixed results. And um, But it's interesting just to look at that in a historical context, I think, to keep perspective, because in recent times, we've been reporting that the market has just been battling a little bit. Uh, in fact, the Eastern market indicator since the season started, remembering that the wool season starts in August, since the season started, the Eastern market indicator is down 7%. But if you go back a step and say, well, what's happened this calendar year, it's actually up 16% or 180 cents. And if you drill down into that, you've got micron categories that have done remarkably well. So the 17 micron indicator is up 500 cents or 29%. Um, and the 19 micron indicator is up 22% or 320 cents. So there's been a bit of a mixed result, uh, especially when you look live at the crossbred sector. The crossbred sector is down year on for the year uh, around you know 10 to 15 percent for those uh, finer crossbreds, those better crossbreds, 28 and 30 microns. Um, and and most of that decline has happened in this last few months. So that area is struggling. Um, but look, overall we've got uh, we've got a pretty sound wool market. Um, but you know, I'd have to say that they are mixed results a little bit. It's an interesting point, and I know Andrew Woods does a lot of work on those premiums between different micron categories and how the supply change between seasons affects that. But the other question that we're getting a lot is about premiums for quality schemes. So the RWS wool is one we've spoken about recently. What do you know about what we're seeing in those premiums at the moment? Well, it's it's been interesting how this has emerged, Liv, and Andrew, you're right, Andrew Woods has, has covered this a lot. One of the things that he's he's done, which I think is very um, sound, is he's taken a lead from South Africa where a much bigger proportion of the clip is registered under these schemes. And, and for those who aren't familiar, you know, the, the RWS scheme is probably the global over, uh, over scheme of all the schemes. Um, but it, and it means that you're actually able to document that you're uh, producing wool in a, in a sound way and the wool is coming from sheep that is not mules. So in South Africa, there's a lot, you know, very few sheep are mules in South Africa, so therefore there's a lot more wool as a percentage of their clip that's suitable. In Australia, of course, that uh, non-mules requirement means that it's only suitable to a very small number of our producers. But the... the key thing here is that the premiums that are coming through are very significant. And over the years watching the wool market, people have sort of always been asking for premiums for certain things and, and wondering why we can't generate premiums for our particular way of producing wool and, and our particular farms. This is a, a genuine example of where premiums are being paid and, and they're being driven live by the customer. The customer is saying that they can use this story uh, of how the wool is produced to enhance their product, their uh, product sales, and that means that uh, they're out in the market sourcing these wools. And we're now seeing premiums in the range of ten to twenty-five percent above similar wools that don't qualify for, for this particular scheme. And the good thing about, I guess, from a, uh, an analyst point of view, is this particular scheme. The wool goes through the auction more times than not, mostly goes through the auction. Therefore, the measurement of the price can be fairly calculated against similar wools. And, um, and I think, 
it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens here, Liv, because this is a real price signal. We've been hearing for a long time from exporters and processors that, you know, the customers are wanting this type of wool and this accredited wool. Um, and, and the old story from the farmer is, well, show us the money. Um, I think right now we're seeing the money. The question will be if that increases the production of wool, it's suitable for this, will, that, will those premiums be maintained? Um, that's yet to be seen, but certainly it's a very positive um, outlook for um, those type of wools right now. Yeah, and it has to be, it has to return that value back to the farmer at the end of the day. If that's the the standards and the requirements that the customer is wanting, and we are seeing and hearing more of that uh, in the market, that more of these fashion labels are counting on having those sustainable credentials associated with the products they're producing, but Mm. it definitely needs to flow back down to those producing the wool in the first place. Yeah, exactly, Liv. And we know in agriculture it's difficult to do because if you're going to supply a quality product, the market wants it for the whole year. It doesn't just want it when we're shearing our sheep or selling our lambs or marketing our cattle. So the good thing about wool is, and this particular scheme, is that it is spread over, it can be spread over a lot of different producers and it can be spread over a lot of different supply timetables. So, you know, we've got people shearing in December and you've got people shearing in March and selling their wool. And you've also got it over a spread of micron ranges and quality ranges. So it allows the customer to go into the market and find some supply and select, you know, what they're looking for. The difficulty with with meat products is that we... It is, it is much more difficult to establish premiums for meat products because, um, you know, the product comes on the market when it, it actually is most suited to the producer to sell that product. And it comes on in, you know, bits and pieces and it's difficult to build a supply chain. Um, I think, though, that probably <laughs> if we're talking about those quality things, Liv, if we're talking about the cattle market, though, um, there's a fair bit happening there that's probably just related to supply and demand and not so much to um, quality premiums, but um, I know you've been looking at that this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the record prices are definitely front of mind for all and all over the headlines with sale yard cattle and cow prices are just driving further and further up um, because of all this East Coast rain in recent weeks. But one of the important things in the cattle market story is, is supply and the latest quarterly data we got from the ABS just last week has shown that the herd rebuild in Australia has intensified. So, Rob, when we talk about the herd rebuild, it's the female slaughter ratio that we look at because it's the best indicator we have of whether producers are holding on to females to breed and, and grow their herd and it has a really strong relationship with whether the herd is growing or contracting. So with the data that's just come out, it shows that um, the female slaughter ratio was at 44% and a female slaughter ratio of below 47% is sort of the threshold that we use to say that the herd is in a growth phase. So we're we're well and truly in there now and it's definitely um, gotten stronger since last quarter. 
but it, it does have a few implications. And, and one is that the herd growth is expected to be very strong this year. And MLA's latest projections to are tipping that the herd is supposed to grow at 7% this year. And that matches back to times like in 2011 and 1994, where we really saw the rebuild uh, happen at a very fast pace. But uh, on the other side of that is your slaughter rates and the supply projections, which have been lowered again by 5% down to 6 million head slaughter for the year. And to compare that back to last year, it's 16% lower than last year's slaughter. So it does a lot to explain the price of the cattle that we're seeing at the moment. Do you think, Liv, and I know this is speculative, but do you, if the herd is growing it, and 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 your figures are telling us that it is, then it's going to mean that production is going to increase down the track. So that is going to, you know, present a whole new set of scenarios for the market to absorb if, if these females that are being held are all going to produce additional beef down the track. How far behind um, the, you know, where we are now uh, compared to other years, how much, how much can we increase before we start to see some real impact on um, on demand or, or an oversupply of beef? Are we anywhere near that or what's happening globally? Yeah, you're, you're spot on to ask that question, Rob, and Angus Brown did some work um, just this week on that. And what he found was that if, if we do get sort of a more return to nor- normal seasonality in our supply, then it's probably going to be in autumn next year that we'll see... Um, cattle slaughter stronger than it was this year, which, you know, in a a typical situation would mean it has a negative impact on price. So it's probably August that we'd be watching out for some of that relief. And then the other tipping point would be next spring. But what happens then is probably going to be more of a case of what the season is like and demand. So that those will be the two periods to be watching out for. Yes, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly an exciting time to be in cattle. Well, it's an exciting time to be in red meat at the moment. And uh, uh, I think our, a lot of our people that listen to the Commodity Conversations podcast are on the production side. There's no doubt about that. So, But at the same time, we know that markets continue to move. And so I think, Liv, we'll be watching these things very closely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's been great to have you on back on the podcast today, Rob, and always enjoy the catch-up. It's lovely to talk to you, Liv, too, and um, have a great weekend, and uh, we look forward to catching up soon again. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. Please remember to share the podcast with your network and leave us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next week, take care.